If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be full of power dynamic mess-em-ups, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we absorb everyone at the table into the social stakes of a scene? And what can the whole table do to give meaning to the characters that they encounter? And what simple concept can explode the role play that happens even between party members? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. Collaboration. (laughs) It's a skill that is oft overlooked in our conversations about this collaborative role-playing hobby of ours. (laughs) Collaboration. Let's talk about collaboration. Yeah, we are. That's legit. I mean, the weight is often put on the GM to make it happen. Dazzle us. Make my character into a legend that will span all space and time (laughs) while I sit here and crunch popcorn and and look up from my phone when I'm really into something that you're saying. Right. So often we as players definitely, you know, we forget how much power we have in the tension that's happening at the table. I mean, the, the problem with this concept we're talking about is that we all want the serious moments to land when they happen. We all want the powerful NPCs to actually be powerful and the frightening ones to frighten us. But that is not just in the hands of the GM, I guess, is one of the points we're here to make. And I'm really excited for this episode because this isn't just for players. It's also for GMs, and they both have equal stakes and things that they must critically do to create this tension that sits at the table. The problem that we're really discussing here is if you've ever run a scene in your game where the players walk in to a grand throne room. They have way too much swagger and they come in and start, you know, treating the king like he's a little shit. (laughs) They're popping off. They're being sarcastic. They're undermining his authority with every word they speak. That can be an incredibly frustrating scene as a GM because you want this king to command the kind of respect that they deserve. You want the players to be afraid of them, but they're just not. Why the hell won't they give the king the respect that they deserve? And this episode solves that in a really clean and easy kind of way that I'm surprised by. And it gets away from the only solution to that problem that you just described, Travis, being, you know, execute, maim, Uh, send away and never let them return because that all stops story that all (laughs) shifts things completely but there's another way turns out it was in the hands of those actors and improvers uh knew about this the entire time and they weren't telling us they weren't telling the rest of us ttrpg (laughs) folks except for one person that had the guts nay the bravery to step forward and tell the rest of us their secrets He's been on before to share some wisdom, but for those of you that are unfamiliar with him, he's the creative and art director for Escape Plan Games, a company making some extremely polished and well-executed supplements. Their next is titled Blood, Rum, and Thunder. And if you couldn't guess, that's a pirate-infested campaign for 5th edition. He's also an actor and a thespian, and we've been missing the dulcet tones of his British accent. (laughs) Welcome, Olo. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely delighted to be here. Well, to say that we're excited for Blood, Rum and Thunder uh, would be a huge understatement. You're very kind. Like we we just mentioned, we're big fans of Tavern Tales, some of the interesting and subtle and very much missing from the usual experience of, you know, campaigns and supplements. You really raised the bar with tavern tales and i assume that you're hoping to do it again 
<laughs> with Blood, Rum, and Thunder. Can you tease some ways that you're hoping to do that? It's a weird assumption to make, Travis. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I, we're really happy with how Tavern Tales was received. The biggest relief for us was that all the sort of little risks we took paid off and were the things that were kind of the most touted. So the the GM toolkit that we we sort of uh, interlaced through it, the the layout that makes things we think a little more user-friendly we're absolutely keeping that um that's now the sort of escape plan house style and then i've said before i have a problem as a player and as a dm running modules because i'm always aware that there's a sort of there's an invisible wall around the edge of the world because it is it does fit into a book and just psychologically knowing that part of me goes how far can i wander with this how much can i play with this whereas if it's homebrew at least everyone at the table knows that you know that invisible wall isn't there um so i think the challenge that we're trying to engage with is how do you bring that open world feel to something that does have a clear set adventure um and so what the way we've tackled it is we uh the the mission itself is relatively linear you know i hate the term i, I think the word railroading is misused these days it's it's a you know the lord of the rings is a very straight line in theory, <laughs> stuff happens on the way. Um, so we have a nice, clear adventure that people can really sink their teeth into. And then we are building in a lot of things and putting a lot of cogs on this machine so that your adventure should not be at all like anyone else's. We've got two or three things that DMs can play with, and depending on player choices, that will mean things turn up at different times, different people react to you different ways. Um, so we want to give it that that feeling of your actions really do have consequences. You're not just on a roller coaster, but the DM doesn't have to do months and months and months of prep on their own. You know, it is a book in a DM's hands is always a tool. It is a helpful thing, not just a, hey, look how good at writing we are product. If you want to do that, write a novel. If you're trying to write a 5e supplement, it's got to be accessible. So that's what we're working on and um, having a really fun time with it. We are really, really excited about some of the mechanics we developed for this. Um, one of which is a player-controlled storytelling mechanic. And I don't want to go into too much more detail about that right now, but we have found a way that we are confident in to hand over a large portion of the world building quickly and easily to the players that I have never seen before. I'm sure once we release this, we'll get a bunch of people going, you idiot, this has been in X game for years. But for right now, we're really clever and we've come up with a thing <laughs> and that we really like, which I think will add to that sense of giving the players sort of some room to push that wall away and and figure it out for themselves. I think that that humility comes through in all of your your work. You know, you recognize that you're there not as the central focus of somebody's world and campaign and i'm going to give you all these details that you have to adhere to otherwise the story doesn't work but a hey we're going to give you a tool set for you the gm who is and, and your players at the table are the central focus to allow tables to do their own thing without having to adhere to this really um rigorous story is absolutely amazing and it's and it's what i have always looked for in campaign books because the reality is is that i throw out 80 percent of it because i'm trying to <laughs> adapt it and so to to hear that you guys have acknowledged that embraced it you've created something that i'm i'm very excited to use because as soon as the party does something surprising i don't have to start making it up that's one of the biggest reasons i stopped using <laughs> i i had to learn to homebrew because i couldn't do it any other way so yeah i'm excited for it from that perspective too yeah we're aiming to have quite a chunky session zero guide for this so that everyone can get on board right from the get-go and sort of expectations can be locked in and some decisions will be made that affect things further down the road and yeah we think it we think it'll be a lot of fun that alone like how often have we seen a session zero guide within a campaign module amazing <laughs> um one more note on that supplement uh in tavern tales you guys focused a lot on the tavern being the home base and you had some very cool details in there that kind of supported the party coming back and and having it grow and change and become a real 
hub, I'm assuming you've got some very cool ideas for how that's going to happen in a pirate ship themed adventure. Yes, indeed. Um, I think if you're running a pirate adventure and the ship is just flavor for the road between two towns on a land-based campaign, something's gone very wrong. So again, without going into too much details that might spoil things for players, um, the ship is going to be much more than just a vehicle. Part of that session zero is going to be customizing and building the ship together. And we really do want it to be a floating home that that grows and evolves and builds as the adventure does. Yeah, what do I feel like I, I want to say? Ah, I want to say so much. Um, <laughs> suffice to say, there will be things going on with the ship that mean it is much more than just canvas and planks carrying you from one place to another. Very Amazing. exciting. We really want to build that, as you say, that base building aspect. Um, because, I mean, when you're at sea, that's your entire lifeline, right? You know, that is, it's your space helmet. It's the, it's the one thing keeping you alive. So it's, it's going to be absolutely crucial. If we get that wrong, then it's not worth it. But I, we've got some really <laughs> good ideas, I think, and I think it's going to be very exciting. What excites me so much about that is just that your ship is your greatest superpower and also your biggest Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And it really ups the stakes. Yeah. Having your floating home go with you <laughs> that also sometimes mm -hmm. takes pot shots from cannon fire. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it's incredibly flammable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you need oil lamps to see. <laughs> the the yeah. stakes are through the roof. But yeah. I know that we want to talk more about what you came here to talk about, which is adding more drama to scenes, to characters, to tables, driving on your thespian background. How have you seen status applied well to games? So um, just to talk about quickly what I'm talking about here, there's a term in, in performance, and I'll say right up top, all of this advice is obviously for a, a heavily role-played game. If that's not your bag, you know, Totally fine. But if you are looking for a, a richer um, role-playing world, I think this might be helpful to talk about. And it's not just D&D. Obviously, it's any role-playing game, but I'll just I'll talk about it mostly in, in terms of D&D because that's what I play the most. So status in performance, acting teachers will talk about two aspects of status. There's social status and there's personal status. You could sort of think about outer status and inner status. Outer status can be quite obvious. There's a king, there's a peasant, the king is higher up the ladder than the peasant is. Personal status, inner status, is how we carry ourselves as people. Do you, when, you, when someone walks into the room, are they hugging the wall? Are they standing up straight? Are they making eye contact? Are, they, are we sort of commanding a space? All of those things that where we, we see people all the time and everyone, everyone has their own internal status and is almost never one for one with your external. That relationship is a driving force of so much drama and and clashes between status. Someone with a high internal but low external and a high external but low internal. The clever servant and the idiot master is a dynamic that runs through everything. I mean, just, you know, it's been part of storytelling from time immemorial. It's right. Commedia dell'arte, it's Shakespeare, it's the entire plot of Succession, um, <laughs> which I don't say to, to put that down. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. But I think we can all safely say not much happens in Succession. It's a series of power plays and moves and a group of incredibly incompetent people who think they're very competent vying for a crown. Um when it comes to performance, that stuff gets locked in. It's in script, it's in performance. It's something that improvisers get very good at because it is very important in an improv scene to very quickly work out what your scene partner is putting out and what, what you can give back. And I get to role-playing games through improv, the sort of the improv link, because obviously that's what's happening at the table. And the most important part of improving status is it relies on everyone else. You cannot force it. So the, the title of this episode, Let the King Be the King, comes from an acting adage. There are various versions of which you can't play a king. It's everyone else who plays that you're the king. Right. As a case in point, the, the same person walks on the stage twice. 
First time, he walks into a room full of people and says, hello, everyone. No one acknowledges him. They keep talking. They mutter. They maybe glance over. He walks to the, a chair in the room and sits down. Compare that to exactly the same performance. The same man walks onto the same stage, same pace, same gait, same volume, says, hello, everyone. Suddenly, 15 of them drop to one knee. Silence rings out across the stage. Others flatten their clothes and hush their children. Someone brings a chair forward, and he walks forward and sits down. Now, that actor hasn't done anything different, but we, the audience, know that there is a huge difference between those two people they're portraying. If you extend that to a, a role-playing game, that is a position that actually the players are in control of. And that's sort of why I wanted to talk about it today, because it, status is one of the very few things that the DM really cannot control. In the same way that people talk about you know, role-playing horror games, the players need to agree to be scared for a horror game to work. The same thing with status. Players have to agree to the, the game of status that the DM is hinting at in order for it to really land and be rich. If the players don't get on board with your mate Dave now doing a king voice being more important than your mate Dave doing the goblin voice in the cave, then the, the quality of the, the richness of the narrative just thins. It just becomes sort of, it all becomes the same. So that's, that's a very long preamble to why I think this is worth talking about. And I think it's something that players would benefit from knowing about if you don't come from a performance background, it, you might not click. Um, and it might be a conversation that DMs want to even have at the beginning of their game. And it might be a session zero conversation because it can completely depend on what kind of game you're running. If you're running a game where your players are Rick and Morty, essentially just burning their way <laughs> through the multiverse as gods, then they are going to be top dog everywhere they go. You know, If you want a more sort of Game of Thrones world, if you walk into the throne room and boop the king on the nose, you're dead. That, you know, that's the only logical response. Um, and if, if the DM doesn't engage with that, if the DM just sort of lets you get away with it somehow, then the DM has wrestled their reality lower and it's, not as, it's just not as worthwhile anymore. Something's lost. You're triggering memories of running campaigns that started very tense and then just slowly had the air deflated out of them as players gained more levels and had that kind of swagger within the world. Yeah, it just slowly leaks out until there is no tension in any scene. It doesn't matter. And you're chasing, you know, just an unrealistic expectation for for what you could inject into your game. And I, I think the most the subtlest part of it is because it's, it's not necessarily it's not because any player is doing anything wrong. 99% of these games put you in the position of being the hero of the world. Right. You know, no, no one's ever the second fiddle in their own campaign. So you go in going, okay, we're the heroes. We are going to be the ones to solve all of this. So if a king is telling us no right now, we need to overcome that. You know, that's, that's something we need to, we inherently know that we're the players and this is an NPC. So whatever's happening, we are more powerful. And you are as players, and that just leaks through. But I think it's something that will be richer if you, as a player, sort of hear no from, you know, allow NPCs to be higher status than you. You know, whether, whether that's social status or personal status, uh, allow yourselves to be part of the world. You know, if you, you, you're not going to, don't get everything you want on the first ask, and I think you'll actually enjoy yourself a lot more. Yeah, let's hop into the strategy stateroom where we can actually talk about very specific points to how to do this and how to bring this back into your game and how to set yourself up for success. Stay alert in the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so we've got the concept of status now, which like I will definitely admit was completely new to me. I'd been figuring out some of it along the way of, of GMing, but hopefully this episode can help skip a couple of those uh, learning opportunities. Let's start getting into some more specific techniques that people can use. And 
I know that a huge part of this episode is going to be for the players, like you were saying, Alo. But tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a bit of, of stage setting and kind of like getting the players on that page if the party wants to be there before kind of giving the players those reins to either respecting the world or not. So for the GM, how can the GM showcase some of that external status if we're sticking with the king example? Yeah, so absolutely. And the G you can definitely lay breadcrumbs to give your players hints as to what's coming up. A lot of this is more difficult for high status. Lower status, it's very easy to give the players someone because, as we were saying, you naturally assume a higher status than NPCs, I think. So if you know you have a king coming up that you want to truly be in charge of their own kingdom and that the players are not going to be able to just kick around. First things first, I think the easiest thing to do is have their name ring out for a while before you ever meet them. You know, if you're spending time in a new land, everyone is going to know, even if they've never seen or met them, everyone from the farm to the tavern to the guardhouse is going to know who's in charge somewhere. So have Lord Arendane's name be mentioned four, five, six, eight times before you ever get near him. You know, I think that's, that's a, obviously that starts to bake in that there is one figure that everyone's aware of. And with that will obviously come opinions of that Lord or lady, you know, is that, is, is this ruler kind? Is this ruler beloved? Is, you know, are they a hard ass? Do they have tax collectors everywhere you go? There's someone with the, you know, with the jeweled brooch of whatever, you know, kicking in the door of someone who hasn't paid their taxes recently. You can sort of, this sort of, this goes back to kind of what we were saying last time I was on about show, don't tell. You can put that mood out there. You know, the head of the snake controls the body. So whatever the body's doing will be indicative of how the ruler is running their show. Um, I think other things, you can be very liberal with what might otherwise be behind insight checks. You know, feel free to tell people if they then end up meeting this person, how they comport themselves, how they carry themselves. What are the people around them doing? You know, what are your what are your gremlin NPCs who just sort of hover around this person? How are they behaving? Do they have their heads bowed? Are they being sort of, do they chide or josh the king as well? Do they all share a joke? Are they eating in front of him or are they stood silently with their hands clasped in front of them? So you, these are the things you can kind of, you can build an energy around the person before you ever meet them. And it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned Game of Thrones earlier. Um, it just so happens that I'm currently rewatching through the series. You know, one really tiny way that they do that throughout that entire series is anybody of any import uh, has personal guards. And yeah. even the, the royal family members that don't get a lot of respect, even within the kingdom, don't have personal guards. You know, they have... They have a sellsword that they've hired because they don't get their own guard. So you like right there, you're given so much information about who, where the power dynamics live within that entire experience just by the indication that they have two very well adorned royal guards behind them. And this person has none. But yeah, they're both rulers. Absolutely. It's a good point. Like as an extension of the you know 20 guards around them you're not going to be able to get near this uh, you know a real ruler as strangers in a land until you've proven yourselves so another thing the gm can do is don't have your you know i'm i'm, I'm ribbing skyrim today for some reason i don't know why but don't have your baron sat behind one door in a chair easily just available the second your guys walk into town if your heroes walk into town and say we want to see the baron the first guard they meet says, no, who are you? <laughs> you know, and then if they get past that, you know, if they manage to convince that guard that there's something real going on, that guard goes and gets their captain and they have to explain it to them. And then the captain goes and gets a minor, you know, advisor at court who sort of says, okay, who are you? What do you want? Um, no, the king's very busy. If you want to, he'll have time sometime next week. You know, be, feel free to put those barriers in front. You don't have to make every one of your NPCs inherently recognize that this group of weapon and magic wielding psychopaths are good guys <laughs> and just and muscle them directly into the throne room. Everyone's busy. I think that's a, a, a always a useful thing to remember. Everyone's really busy <laughs> with other stuff <laughs> all the time. So if you want to go and see the king, you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. You won't have to jump through as many hoops to see the farmer down the road because he's just in his house. 
you know that and that's another way you build it that distance you can build in talking of game of thrones by the way as a side note if anyone wants to watch what i think has been one of my favorite interplays of status internal and external recently go and watch any scenes where you have tywin lannister cersei lannister and joffrey in one room together where once joffrey is king and tywin is the hand because that that power dynamic is bonkers so so to break it down you have tywin lannister who is grandfather and dad so he is he has a patriarchal sort of bonus as if you want to put it that way to his status but he's an old man he's not as spry as he used to be so if anything physical were to happen who's to say he's the hand of the king so he is an advisor but he's also the head of the family so (laughs) what he says goes that way but he has to listen to joffrey who is the king and could have anyone's head cut off he wanted but is also an idiot 12 year old with a lot of you know with with the lowest self-esteem out of anyone in the whole show his external status is a 10 his internal one is at a two but he also kind of hates his mum and has a sway over her who has been the queen but is in this moment a mother and daughter so has a maternal you know strength over her son but is herself a child but her son hates her so so whenever they're talking the lightning crackle of status changes <laughs> is flying all over the place you know, is that wonderful like Tywin says something like the king is tired he wants to go to bed you know and, and he's like no I don't and he's like, ushered out the room that status play is wild it's a great one to watch if you want to sort of learn a bit more about how these things can interlock another thing I haven't said yet is that that's very important is status changes going back to succession depending on who is in the room people's statuses jump and drop and you know go all over the place we are different people in front of people we find intimidating than we are around, you know, friends and family and, you know, all sort of, well, you might find friends and family intimidating, but our status doesn't stay locked at one number, as it were, all the time. It, it pitches and rolls. Of course, when you're sitting down writing and you're writing a hit HBO show, obviously you have all the time in the world to try to consider these things. But, you know, for me, I'm thinking from the GM perspective, how difficult is it to really sit down as you're thinking of an NPC and just go, what is their internal status and what is their external status? You already kind of alluded to mixing those two together and portraying them in different ways. So to just sit down and say, yeah, you know what? This person is king, but they are very unsure of themselves because they're a new king. How can I build NPCs to play with that? It's a really good point. And I think, you know, mechanically, obviously, I think, High wisdom and high charisma are probably the stats you want to be playing with if you want to give them, you know, high checks, for example, maybe. Um, But someone with a high internal status could also just be incredibly arrogant and think very (laughs) highly of themselves and not actually understanding. So there's a lot of different things status can mean. I think some things to think about would be how much does this person want to seem impressive? You know, people with truly high status internally don't care about seeming impressive because they just conf- they just quietly know that they are important or that they are competent the classic kind of quiet dry master of arms who stands quietly at the edge of the room taking any insult you know not rising to any challenge until real danger emerges and they just absolutely wreck house and take out the eight (laughs) assassins without breaking a sweat. That's a very internally someone with a very high status, you know, a lot of the time. So I think, think about how much does this person want to be liked? How easily do they fly off the handle if insulted? How much they put up with bullshit? There are different ways with a high internal status for someone to not put up with bullshit. One is to just leave the room, you know, like, okay, if you're going to play silly buggers, then I'm off and you won't see me again for a week. Or another one, you know, that is rather more Machiavellian is you quietly accept everything they say, you you listen, you take on board all the sort of nonsense they're spurting, and then from the background, ruin their lives. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can just go, okay, fine, then I'm going to dismantle you. Okay, I don't need to tell you that. You don't need to know that. I don't need to do it to your face. I don't need you to plead or beg. I'm just going to ruin you, you know? So maybe if your players mess with someone with a very high status, 
maybe they leave thinking they got the upper hand. They go out of town for a few days, and when they come back, everything's different. That NPC tavern keep who put them up for free that night has suddenly been found to be a traitor. Strange papers were found in their house, and they're going to be hanged in the town square in the, in the morning. Suddenly, no one's talking to them. Suddenly, they've been branded enemies of the state. You know, things like that. So I think the um, fuck around and find out is a very <laughs> useful tool <laughs> as a GM for if you if you want to teach your players the hard way. But that's quite late in the game. You know, that's already having had your players mess with the status quo, and that can be an that can be an important learning tool. But I think some of the other things we talked about can sort of set it up. And as I say, as you know, as I keep coming back to, it requires the players to be on board. Right. This is why I think this is sort of uh, something I think is worth talking about because the GM can do lots of things, but none of them will force this to work. Well, let's talk uh, a little bit about players then, because from a player's perspective, we need to find better ways of of interacting with the world with our own status for understanding our player characters and how they fit in the world. And then, of course, how to treat uh, some of the NPCs within our GM's world that they've built up for us. So I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on on how players can start to embrace these power dynamics. Yeah, the guiding principle is care about the world. You know, I think as it is with so many other things, buying into the social structures that are being built. And you can ask questions, you know, ask your GM, like, we're standing in front of this guy. What what sort of power does he seem to command in the room? Before we open our mouths, what's the vibe? You know, what's going on? It don't just, you know, I'm not just going to barrel in with a quip as I have with the 10 other people I've met beforehand. Ask. And I think, you know, GMs reward that question. You know, that's one more thing that the GM can do is more carrot than stick. Once players do buy in, reward it. I think as a player, you can ask questions in character, but also think about how your own character <laughs> wants to survive. You know, if you've got something important <laughs> to do, if you've got a lost, a long lost twin to find or an orb to smash or whatever it is, you need to be around to do that. So that objective has to be more important than the fact that this Lord is currently getting in your way somehow, you know just insulting your way through most characters i suspect no won't work and if your bard gets a bit mouthy you know after a while drag him you know one of your other players drags him out of the room and goes i'm so sorry you know he doesn't speak for the group we understand that this is a difficult situation you know rather than just sort of laugh at the laugh at the player's joke engage with that happening in the game you know right it's the the so off underused uh insight check you know from the player's perspective in DD, you've got insight roles and you say you know what can i roll an insight on this ruler give me mm-hmm. give me some understanding of how like you said how yeah. they exist in this world and and then everyone at the table has that information now yeah and can act on it yeah and and if you ask that gms can be generous you know if they then roll a 4 don't go don't immediately go like ah you can't get a read on this guy you go you can't tap into his inner workings but just by looking around the room you can see this guy commands a lot of respect and it seems to be a respect based on love not fear you know you can say that most of us can pick up on that quite easily i think you know in a group of 60 people all staring at one person in a crown and i think the other thing i would say players can do is allow these social interaction scenes to be as much of a puzzle as the glowing gems that you have to line up in the dungeon. Let it take time. Let it not work immediately. You know, figure stuff out. If you enjoy video game RPGs, there are conversation trees to navigate, you know, before you get what you want. And that requires not just blundering in and hitting the lock with a hammer it requires lock picks you know if you if if what you want is so important to you then enjoy the game enjoy the game of unpicking the lock of this conversation <laughs> this relationship build it over time say listen okay we need to pass through your town if you're not going to let us what can we do for you ah well now you mention it there is a den of kobolds outside that yada yada you know what i mean um make offers you know how can we prove to you high status npc that we are worthy of your time or that you are worthy of us you know how do we prove that we really are the heroes of the realm prove to you that kind of thing right 
So you know, buy in, recognize that every society has a status quo, whatever that is, and that as in real life, if you just blunder through it, it's going to be harder for you and, and not as rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really hitting home with me, the whole thinking about it as a puzzle thing, because I'm just thinking there's a lot that you can do before you are entertained by the king that can go a lot farther than just hoping that my introduction of myself is going to have a high role attached to it. Like exactly. you can bring them gifts. You can try and figure out what they're into beforehand. Like you've got their entire town to ask questions about them. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot that we can do before we reach the king. We've been talking about this from the perspective of going to introduce yourself to a king, but this still very much applies to the uh, to the goblin king, to the tavern keeper, to so many other people within our world that we're going to interact with, is trying to understand you know where their status is, what we can do to to play into that internal and external status that they they may have. Absolutely, and we know yes, as you say, we've been talking about the king because he's an obvious status ten out of ten. It's you know it's easy to use as examples. But yeah, I mean, what are we really talking about? We're talking about how to get the most out of someone who is important to you at any point. The tavern, yeah, the guy who owns the one tavern on a 40 mile road, <laughs> you need him to let you stay there. Now, could would it be easier for you to hit the tavern keeper over the head, tie him up than it would the king? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but there are going to be consequences for that as well. You know, that tavern keeper is known in the town. They're no, you know, up the road. They are the subject of a lord who's not going to take too well to his people being, you know, robbed. So these relationships are rich. And if you get him on side, that's a really valuable ally later down the road. You know, I think we talked about base building earlier. I always think of NPC conversations as further base building. You know, you are three, four, five, six people against the world. Usually, it's useful to have some other people around who can help you out. So I think the more you engage with these status games, the more it's 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 just it's it's empathy, really. Right. It's it's <laughs> a lesson in empathizing. It's a lesson in intuiting. It's a lesson in sympathizing. It's just once again, it's just about applying real world stuff to role playing games and making a richer world. If you bump into Brad Pitt in the street and you're a dickhead, hey, guess what? Brad Pitt hates you now, and <laughs> and, and and your life can be made a lot harder. You know, it's not you wouldn't do that stuff in real life. So know when it's helpful and not within your game as well. And I think you will have a more fun time. I believe. Such a common challenge of GMs everywhere is how do I punish my players for their murderous ways um, when mm -hmm. they were so careful to, you know, abduct the person and kill them in secret? And like, how how the hell do I do this? You know, typically as a GM, you'd be a little bit hesitant to sick the entirety of the local guard force on your players and outright murder them because that would be the logical mm -hmm. you know result yeah. but maybe that status we can erode that status within this region very slowly very methodically make sure that every single npc hey you know what this person just went missing and those people just came into town i don't know what to do other than to treat them like the scumbags that I assume that they are because they're the new elements to town. Absolutely. Yeah. As a GM, I mean, how often does, you know, if something goes wrong in the neighborhood, people aren't, you know, the higher ups aren't paying attention, but everyone around word travels, you know, how often is it the case that everyone in the local area knows exactly what went down, but just because it's not being investigated as such or the case has gone cold? Yeah. So if you don't want to outright murder your players, next time they come back in, everyone's being very chilly, like you say, like... They're not nearly as welcome. People are avoiding them in the street. Those friends they made don't want to talk to them anymore because everyone's got a weird feeling about them. They can't prove anything, but consequences don't have to be combat. Rocks fall, everybody dies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When you were originally talking to us about this concept, that point you just made about Brad Pitt was one of the most important for me. You were just saying that, you know, it's about empathy, but like, you know, sometimes I can't totally get into the mindset of my gnome that's from underneath the ground and all of his inner workings so it really is powerful to just think about how i would react to important figures in our world and just translate it directly into my character 
Yeah, I mean, when none of us are islands, and even if, even if your party of five level twenty people goes up and against an entire army, some of those hits are going to be critical hits, you know. And there's going to be a hundred of them because there's a th- you know because there's so many <laughs> thousand troops. Like you can't actually do everything against the entire world, even even in a game where you're playing sort of world changing heroes. So yeah. Um, I think Brad Pitt is important to all of us. That's what you're really getting at. (laughs) That's the lesson. Well, kind of getting back to GMs and what we can do, I think one of my first next steps is to go back, look at all of my player characters and figure out, based on their character, their background, how they go about in the world, kind of assign them, you know, just on the GM side, an internal and an external status. And whenever I'm coming up with a new NPC, I'm going to look at each one of those player characters and just think which one of these people commands the most respect to this particular person as the rogue in the party. If I'm a if I'm some kind of fence, I'm obviously going to be more inclined to talk to that person than, say, the bard with a crazy high, you know, social skills score. I'm going to focus more on that that rogue or any NPC, any given NPC is going to have very different opinions. And so often I let my own players get into that position. Well, we have a face man and that person is now going to do 100% of the talking. And then in social situations, everyone else just kind of hops on their phones and goes, yeah, all right, well, we'll let the face take care of this. (laughs) Let me know what you figure out. Yeah. (laughs) And this would change that dynamic hugely by considering some of those internal and external statuses for each one of my players. Absolutely. Yeah, I think and as, as a GM, you can massively raise and lower those persuasion DCs depending on who's talking. As you say, you, you've walked into a sort of, yeah, you've walked into an underground bar full of thieves and ragamuffins. Your gentleman bard met with a charisma of plus five and a noble background who normally wanders around going ah a drink for the whole bar now tell me what's your finest wine i I say i'm talking to you (laughs) you know that's not gonna go down well here as it might in a place where social hierarchies are clearer so that persuasion check is going to be through the roof compared to as you say the rogue who sits down the bar raises three fingers and just and gives a wink to the bartender that persuasion is going to be a four or a five right so that's again yeah the, the way that statuses shift and change around other people that is something you can do assigning statuses to your characters is another age-old sort of improv and acting trip so you sort of give yourself a number between one out of ten externally and internally a king with no self-confidence is an external 10 and internal two you know, right the butler who thinks a lot of himself external three internal eight you know you can it's it's a very quick measure you can give yourself to build that, that out. I think this is going on my GM screen tomorrow with the internal, <laughs> external, and then just like a quick note on their background to just quickly scan that and say, oh, this is how this NPC is going to feel about literally everyone in the party. Like you said, this is, a, this is an improv technique. This is designed mm-hmm. to be used in the moment at a moment's notice. And so having that in front of me on my GM screen um, to reference is just going to be like, oh, I just made up Jartal the Bard, um, who is an NPC that I had to, you know, come up with on the fly. But just as quickly, I can decide how they feel about every single member of the party. Having that out of game conversation with the party, with the players to kind of get them on board with this concept, if this is new to everybody, I think if you wanted to, you could take it one step farther and, and kind of have them assess themselves in the context of the party like we could really deepen the role play here with this one technique from improv and connected to that is uh, another thing which is if your players for whatever reason come you know particularly if it's a sort of you know an npc they just bumped into that you don't necessarily need to be super powerful let the players drive you know, if you describe this sort of this orc woodsman chopping wood outside his hut as you walk past and one of your players is just like, I love him for whatever reason, <laughs> let that be, you know, don't then go, well, actually, I was thinking that he'd be a bit of a creep, you know, and sort of kind of, you know, pretty low status. Go with it. Let him be a shirt ripping Gaston, you know, because the most powerful tool you have is player enthusiasm already. 
you know right. another another improv thing if you walk on stage and your scene partner immediately drops to one knee and goes my lord you don't go <laughs> no i actually wasn't going to play a lord i was just going to be <laughs> kevin from accounting you just go rise my son <laughs> however how many times have i told you not in front of the guards you know go with it is another great technique if your players decide that they love someone or they hate someone or that they Im- endow them with a high or low status sort of straight out the gate if it's not important go with it because that will be your strongest world building tool for that person absolutely probably even if it is important (laughs) again going back to using campaigns that's why those are the moments that i'm like okay and i don't know what else to do with this book i'm gonna start making it up (laughs) (laughs) i think the most important thing that i'm gonna do from this episode is sit down and have this conversation See if everyone wants to get on board with this concept. I think it's going to add a lot to my game. Right, because if you don't have this conversation with your players, then the players do exactly what they should do and just default to the way that, you know, games like D&D have been set up. You know, if you are entering into a horror game or you're playing some kind of system that doesn't set you up to assume that you are the hero, you are cannon fodder in... Uh, in any kind of horror game, like you're playing weak teens in some kind of horror game, like you mentioned, Allo, but in D&D specifically, you are set up as the biggest badass that has ever walked these lands. And so unless you do have that conversation, the players are very right to just assume <laughs> that that is, in fact, their status. Yeah, it's baked into a lot of fantasy. You know, it, it predates the games. You know, I mean, Fellowship of the Ring would be a very different story if the moment that Merry Pippin and Sam burst in on the Council of the Ring when they're deciding what to do, they're immediately stabbed to death by <laughs> elven guards for trespassing. You know, that's that's a very different that's a very different story. Suddenly, you know, fantasy heroes do get a lot of leeway because they're the heroes. That's the point. They're charming and, you know, and we root for them and and they're the heroes of the realm. So it's a conversation worth having. Right. You know, but I think with this huge sort of new interest in deep, rich, I say new, you know, the sort of the latest, <laughs> you know, up um, interest in deep, rich storytelling at right. RPG tables, I think it's a conversation that would help a lot of people. 100%. Well, thank you very much, Hollow. This has been just a tremendous conversation and one that I know that has immediately created applications tomorrow to my playing style and how I GM and all of these other things. So this is one of those rare like, hey, this something clicked and it can be applied immediately. So that's usually we're always talking about, you know, these overarching, you know, really deep narrative kind of things that is is so challenging to work in. So it's nice. This is so effortless um, and really appreciate you bringing this to our attention. I'm delighted to be here always. I you know I love this podcast and I think it gives such great advice for everyone out there so you know absolutely honored to be <laughs> invited back. Thank you sir. You can find Allo Clark and his work at eplangames.com. We are going to post the Kickstarter link. You can follow it. It's not a Kickstarter yet, but you can be aware of when it will be. Uh the Blood Rum and Thunder that we talked about. You can find him on the website formerly known as Twitter at Allo Clark as well. <laughs> formerly known lol uh <laughs> yes definitely follow the kickstarter so that you get a first look at when that kickstarter actually goes live and you can support it i know that jordan and i will both be there day one we'll find the highest tier that we can <laughs> um in amongst all of this i'm so excited to be working with the people we've already got team uh we're hoping to add more as the project develops but i've already got really wonderful writing contributions from um which i'm I'm just so excited to be working with these people it's such a thrill we've got writing from Ginny loveday we've got writing from the noir enigma we've got uh ron ogden we've got todd stashwick writing for us um and then we have the the one the one the only the most magnificent julia madalina doing the artwork for us um you can see her first sort of big piece on the poster and she's just remarkable if you know her work from mystic libations todd stashwick's last book todd was actually the one who introduced us to her to which we will be eternally grateful (laughs) to him i'm so thrilled to be bringing out 
what they've created. I've read it all, and suffice to say, you are not going to be disappointed. You have another project coming from ePlan Games, though. Uh, Necromancers, you said it was called. Can you give us the, the pitch on that and rile us up? Yes. Yeah. We have a spooky Kickstarter coming to you that will be launching on Halloween. Um, it is a deck building game called Necromancers. Uh, it's going to be available to play online and as a physical board game. It is beautiful. We've partnered with designer Caleb Nelson to make it, and it's absolutely stunning. I'm so excited for this one because I've had nothing to do with it. This is sort of, I'm I'm learning about it as much as anyone else. Um, but it is a monster-themed deck-building game. Um, you create monsters and pit them against your friends, and you duke it out with weird eldritch Frankenstein's monsters. And I think it's going to be an absolute blast. Um, so that, yes, that will be going live on Halloween. So check it out. That's perfect. Very cool. The art that we've seen for it is absolutely gorgeous. So it's so beautiful. I'm so excited for it. It just looks so goddamn good. <laughs> <laughs> well, very excited for Blood, Rum and Thunder. Thank you very much, Olo, for, for joining us and, you know, sharing your nuggets of wisdom yet again from your acting background. And of course, really excited for your next book and your next project. Thank you also very much to our patrons, Inigo the Brave, Adam F, Alex R, Steve A, Sigma, Heratoscope, Skylar E, Sue Art, Blackthorn, First Law, Peacock Dreams, DM Thunderbum, Marley R, Time Warp, Dangerous Marmalade, No Ma'am, Michelle T, Adlerius, Chris F, The Senate, Lucas D, Lila G, The GM Tim, DM Natsky, Heavy Arms, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. We're going to have Everything that we mentioned in the show notes, you can find them at our website, hookandchance.com. And if you think this episode is worthy of sharing with your players so that they get it, that's a real subtle way of kind of sliding (laughs) in this knowledge to your players. If you don't feel comfortable having the conversation, just recommend the episode. It helps us. It helps you. And uh, everyone's happy in the end. You can join an awesome community of players and DMs on our Discord that are always creating really great nuggets of, of wisdom for DMing. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. And play, play, games. play great games. Great games. <laughs> <laughs>